Welcome back to The Urban Monk. We are here today to talk about feng shui, which is really fun for me because I don't get to talk about the stuff that I've poked around with uh, much. And so we've talked a lot about health and social issues. Uh, and I tasked Carl with it and said, hey, listen, there's a few subjects that I don't think we've ever covered and I really want to. So with me today is Denise Leota Dennis, who has a great story uh, and how she got into this. Uh, because like me, I didn't know anything about any of this Chinese stuff and now look at me. And so she's also, you know, done that in the in the feng shui space. So she's studied classical feng shui. She's written a great book on the subject. And uh, today we have the fortune of having her on um, the show. So hi, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you, you don't look like you're from China. Uh, no, I'm not. No, Chinese. Nor, yeah, <laughs> neither am I. And so I'm a Taoist abbot and you're a feng shui master. And, oh, it's really weird coming from Texas. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And you're in Houston, Texas doing this of all places. Yeah. So how'd you get into right. this stuff? I had a friend. I was in a metaphysical bookstore and just by a casual comment, you know, she said, oh, Denise, you need to read about this um, feng shui. And I didn't even know how to pronounce it. I said, feng what? Feng shui? What are you saying? And she said, yeah, you have that Chinese thing going on, meaning that I had things in my interior, you know, like Buddhas and Kuan Yin's and things like that. And just did it just kind of unconsciously because I thought it was beautiful. And I was um, reading a lot of books on metaphysics. And so it started me thinking, well, I, must, I should check into this. I trusted her opinion and I just looked into it. And sure enough, she was right all about the energy, loved it, took some classes on it. And then I got really obsessed. And that's when I started looking for uh, a genuine Chinese master to study with and, and found one in Malaysia. In Malaysia. Okay, so when you first started looking, um, you found some mention of feng shui. I'm assuming you were looking at Western feng shui at that time. Yeah, right, exactly. That's, that's good that you know that. Yeah, Western feng shui is really popular in the United States. And um, I'm glad, grateful that it came over because I would have never heard of it had it not been any kind of feng shui. Uh, but most of, of America are, is familiar with the more westernized styles that was introduced by a Buddhist monk. Um, and he and his um, student, who was an interior designer, decided it needed to come over to the States. So it was introduced in the States, sort of like that, sort of like a spiritual thing mixed with interior design. But no matter, I, I was still intrigued. And then I discovered that there's the kind that, that goes back thousands of years with all of these different approaches and techniques and formulas, they call them. And so then I had to find a teacher outside the United States because it wasn't very easy to find classes here. And so I found, eventually found, I studied with several teachers, but eventually I found what I call my main teacher, my mentor, who was in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Wow, and so you he, flew out there? Yes, and he, was, he rarely came here. He did come here. Uh, he liked coming to the States. Um, but it was, you know, he had to sort of have a reason. So once in a while he would do a class here. But most of the time he did them in Europe or in Kuala Lumpur where he was, where he was living at the time. So let's set the table a little bit here. What is feng shui? Let's define it and talk about, you know, the specifics of, of how we can look at it. And then let's talk about what we can, how we can use it in our lives. Okay. I, I often uh, have been asked to put it like in a sentence, you know, the one minute commercial, so to speak. So I thought about that long and hard. And if I had to put it in a sentence, I would say that it's the ability to tap the energy or extract that energy of the site, wherever that is, in such a way that it enhances the human experience. And what is the human experience? It's prosperity, 
great health, vibrant health, and great relationships. And it doesn't matter if you live thousands of years ago or now, those are our concerns. And the Chinese figured this out and how to use that energy that's unseen, but we know it exists in such a way that it would do that. And so that people would thrive, always the bottom line. And every formula and every technique that they would call it is for that purpose, is so that humans can thrive in their spaces, whether that's their workspace or their home. When a feng shui practitioner goes into a space, are we talking about like a, a gnosis of qigong in some way to sense what's going on or are there uh, filters and kind of practical things to look at like, okay, mirror would go here because it's north. How, how does classical uh, feng shui do this? Well, it's both of those. You, you, you know, as humans, we're not going to uh, you know, I believe everybody has that, you know, sixth sense they're able to plug in. Now, some people certainly have developed it more than others, uh, and consciously so, so they can tune into a space, the energy of a space. But there are also practical applications of, of things that you look at. The, the big difference with the Western and the classical is that we are using direction. And so there's a beautiful quintessential tool that people who practice classical feng shui, it's called a lopan. Um, and it's a beautiful square, eight and a half by eight and a half. And that is used to measure the direction. So it's not like we say everyone's home faces to the north, which is what you will find like in Western uh, books and popular books. Everybody's home, in fact, doesn't face north. And it's very specific. And that has a very specific um, way that energy is going to come to that space. So based on that information, once you have taken the exact compass direction, of your home, your studio, your office, the, the shopping mall, whatever. Now we know how energy is distributed through that space and then what needs to take place in order to extract that energy, the good stuff. Because everything's about the yin and yang, you know this with, the, with your studies, that everything's about. So there's gonna be some of that negative energy that needs to be brought into balance. And then that is where it gets very specific to the space. And then you couple that with the person their energy, because there are systems that take into account your energy in relationship to that space. Now you have something very spe very specific based on the environment where it's set, the setting. Are you hanging off of a mountain? Are you next to the ocean? Or are you flat in area like I am in Houston? Or you are in a high rise? And every situation is a little differently. And then you go about balancing it out to the person so they can thrive in their space. So true north south east and west bring in different energies and so you know whether i mean most houses aren't going to be oriented true north so then you go find what the directions are and then based mm -hmm. on that let's talk about so so what kind of energies come in from each direction and then how does one look okay. at this okay so one of the systems in fact it is the single most popular system in the world in classical feng shui is called flying stars. And in Chinese it's called the Shuang Kong Beijing, which means the mysterious void uh, of time and space. So it's got this beautiful name. And so the, the question posed was, here's the space, what happens as we go through time? What's gonna happen in the events of these people's lives? So flying stars is the single most popular. If you're gonna jump into your studies of feng shui because you're so interested and obsessed like I was, one of the most popular and world known is the flying stars. According to that system, building a structure, any structure, can only face one of 24 facing directions. And so how that's derived is that we have, everybody knows what you just mentioned, the cardinal directions, north, south, east, west. But in fact, there are four more. 
and we call them the intercardinal directions, southeast, southwest, northwest, and northeast. Each one of those segments has 45 degrees. And so that's divided up into three little pieces of pie, if you will. So you have, let's say you say south, is the first 15 degrees of south, the middle, and the third. So that you have 24 possible ways, and so that you have 24 what they call natal star charts. Now, a natal star chart, once that's, just, and that's determined by the direction, once you have that, you have the energy map of that space and how energy should be uh, viewed in that building, that structure. And that could be a big structure or a home. So Flying Stars tells us where the energy is. And it not only does it tell you where the energy is, it tells you the potential of what might unfold in your life, where the prosperity was, where, where uh, the lawsuits might be, where the sickness might be. That's it's almost like a tarot card reading, if you will, yeah. a little bit like a little bit like astrology. But is that extrapolated over the space that you're doing this work in, or is it going to kind of map out in uh, once you lay it out over the space, then it's going to tell you what's going to happen in your life in the future? Yeah, past. So I could I if once once that's taken. So let's say you're at 182 degrees. You're like in the, uh, 182 degrees. You're in the south, and you're right in the middle, pure south. And that's going to have a certain, you know, energy map. It also depends on when you moved in. So it's also taking, they were um, sky watchers and they knew how to, you know, really uh, map out time as well. So it gets even more specific. And But once you have that, you can see the potentials of where the prosperity is. Um, the possible people are always asking about the potential of attracting a partner, getting the raise, getting the promotion. Will I be sick? I'm going to have surgery. Will I survive the surgery? All those things are actually laid out in those stars. The stars are just numbers. But once you know what those numbers are, it's just like the tarot. Once you know what, the, what those cards represent, then you know what the potential is for that, for that home. And you tell it from the past and what's happening now and what could happen in the future. Amazing. Now, it is. That, that is, I mean, to the point where um, I'm sure people right now are scratching their heads saying, how? <laughs> Right, so uh -huh. so you know where my house is, and you know where I moved in. So that's a, that's you have a, a, a time stamp and a and a space stamp really now. So you know mm -hmm. where I'm where I'm standing in time and space. So that how do how do we then know all that other information? How how does the, all of that come out of those two kind of coordinates? Mm -hmm. <laughs> those two coordinates. That's very good. That's well said. Uh, well, like I said, the numbers are like the tarot cards. So if I want to look and see, and it's really where we, I call it, because I'm from Texas, you know, I relate everything to like, you know, I call it the nachos. So here's the nachos, the nachos of, of, of uh, feng shui. It is the door, and this means your main door, your door, your bed, and your stove. Okay, now there's a whole bunch more to feng shui, and I have 36 modules that I teach. I have a, a one and a half to three year study. So there's a lot to say, right? Sure. But if you can get those three things and why those three things, the door is so important and it rates the highest. I don't care what system, I don't care if it's Western feng shui or classical feng shui or whatever system it is, the door rates the highest because the house or the building or the mall or the office building is gonna receive energy via the door. You are going to come and go, go from your door, like what, a million times in a space? We can't even count them how many times we go out our, our main door as we come into our space. So that's going to activate some kind of energy. It, it, it'll be good or it'll be bad. And that's going to affect your luck. Now, the Chinese call it luck. They mean opportunities. 
money lock, relationship lock, health lock. They mean opportunities. I don't mean, you know, gambling. Then the bed, because we're spending one third of our, you know, as a doctor, you can tell us how much that's one third of our lives. So how the bed is placed, that's where the interior part of it comes in design, where your bed is placed will also affect your energy. It'll affect your health. It'll affect your money, affect your relationships. And then why the stove? This is why we are nourishing our bodies. We're the fire and it's fire. So that fire is going to come on and it's going to do something. Now there's more, but if those three things are in place, you're going to do very well in some kind of space in, in your home. Cause that's a stove. There's no stove in the building, but. So my stove, my stove is pretty um, solidly placed where it is. Uh, I can move my bed. Uh, I, I guess I can move my front door. Um, I, get, I mean, I guess I can move any of it, right? I could tear down the house. But so if you go into a place and it's like, okay, well, here's the front door and here's the stove, then how do you start to make nudges and nuances okay. to the energy? Good question. That's how, let's start with the door. So let's say I, I've taken my compass direction with my beautiful low pan, and now I know the energy map and I know where all of the energy is laid out in all of the eight directions of your home. And I can see where you're spending your time. I can see that you spend... Like I'm a writer, so I'm spending a lot of time at my computer. I teach, so I'm, I'm here a lot. That counts. If I was never there, it wouldn't count. If you never sat at your desk, it wouldn't count. But these areas, I'm looking at where you're spending your time. So let's say I determined that your front door is not ideal. And, and we can put cures into place and we can cure it. But let's say your interior garage door is excellent or vice versa. You can change someone's luck. I've seen it a million times just by switching the use of the door. So let's say the front door or the garage door is not great. And I have you using the great door 80% of the time and the bad door, maybe not so great, but sometimes you have to use it 20% of the time that right there can change events as odd as that sounds, but it's the way you're using the energy. So I'll go back to the original statement. It's the way you're extracting what's available to you. And we say it, what's before me, this is what's before me. I have this door, this door, and I have a back door and I have a side door. Which of those doors are activating the best energy and supporting you based on what you're telling me and what your goals are? I just opened a new business, Denise. It really needs to do well. I just met a new partner. I want those things to go smoothly, et cetera, et cetera. So then I would choose a door. Now, that's funny you said move a door because in classical feng shui, we could do that as well. We don't usually get that drastic. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't get that see like sandwiches. And nor do we move, you know, stoves without some right reason. And if you never cooked on it again, it's not an issue. But the, when you cook on it and you're using it a lot, then that fire is doing something. It's energy. It's doing something. It's an important fire. It's not like your fireplace. That's just a cozy fire, right? You're preparing food on the other fire. So that becomes more important. Yep. And, and so, again, if, I mean, your stove is your stove, so then you would do corrections, whatever the corrections would be, if it's not in the ideal place in your house. Exactly. And I wouldn't even do that if you told me you ate out all the time and you turn on the stove once a week. So it is what it is. I, I could tell you what it might indicate, and sometimes that's useful. But if you're using it a lot and you have three children and you have to prepare food at home and you can't eat out every night, then we come up with some kind of viable solution so that the fire now works for you and not against you. Because there are certain elements that are really important in feng shui, as you know. Water is a huge element in feng shui. And so is fire. So where your water is placed, for instance, is going to activate something, uh, a big pool. How can it not? How can a, not a big body of water, like an ocean, not affect us energetically? Of course it will. Like a mountain. That's like saying, 
yeah, I know you have a mountain out there, but I'm just going to pretty much ignore that mountain. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's 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 kind of that's not practical. That these things, a, a high-rise building, you know, a 20-store building is right next door to you, but we're just going to ignore that. That doesn't really factor in. The Chinese figure these things out that they do, in fact, will yeah. affect you, you know, in those categories, and uh, even even influence your behavior. Hmm. You know, if if you have, for instance, if you live next to a graveyard. People uh, tend, after over over time, they'll become depressed. It's dead energy; it doesn't get any more dead than the graveyard, right? So they figure these things out that where you're set, and then the home itself, the way it's just distributing the chi, is going to affect the events in your life and even influence your behavior. It's almost like you start resonating to that. You're almost like trying to match the vibration. If you live next to a graveyard, you might can fight it at first. But after a while, it's going to start affecting you. You might get depressed or, um, you know, lethargic at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny. There's um, uh, locally there's uh, there's a lot of Asians in my community, and um, there is a graveyard going into a, like a local area where you know the city's been fighting and fighting to get it in somewhere, and it's been this huge hoopla amongst the the Asian mm-hmm. communities, right? Because there's like no hell no, you're not bringing that over here. Right, and, and, exactly. and, and it's been like a, a fight bigger than they thought they would put up. And so because they right. take this stuff really seriously. Exactly. Well, and that, so you think about it like it's dead energy. So it will attract some kind of spirits and ghosts. I mean, whether you believe in spirits or ghosts, they are going to hang around, you know, because they can't leave this earthly plane for whatever reason. So they'll hang around. And then if, you're, if you have a business, it, it needs that vibrant energy. It doesn't need dead energy or you can't make money in your business. So now you're next to that. Or if you're just a, a regular person, again, it's going to affect affect you. So I can see why there, there's a big hoopla because mm-hmm. you don't place something that's going to be a bunch of dead bodies where you want vibrant chi. So it's yep. I can see it's a big deal, a big deal. So how does one do a correction? Like let's just say you know you walk into my house and you're like, yo man, your stove sucks. Like this is terrible. You know it's this is why you're bald, right? Like uh, you know whatever whatever it ends up being. So then what? interventions could I find in feng shui to fix that? Right. Well, we use uh, temporary stoves. You know, I don't know if you've ever, if you've traveled in Southeast Asia, uh, they pretty much care. Their stove is so important. They're so, it's so ingrained in them, but this is important fire. They even have these little temporary stoves, but you know, we're, we're here in America and we know we have our, you know, minimum, our stove, just even a minimum stove is weighing three, 400 pounds and you get the wolf or the Viking. Now you've got something that weighs 1100 pounds. So I'm sensitive to the fact that if they've got granite and they have the stove, not to bother that. I, I would only recommend um, if they're telling me they're cooking all the time, that they love to cook, and we might do a little remodeling, we might reposition their beautiful stove. If they don't and, and aren't willing to do that, then we'll use a little temporary stove that have the induction burners and things like that, and we'll place it where it needs to be placed instead of harming you. Because the location, I would not even recommend that. It's cost prohibitive unless it's so serious that you are one getting cancer, you're going bankrupt, you've lost your spouse, or something very serious before I would even go down that road anyway. So we would use something that's really inexpensive, under a hundred dollars, and find a place for the good fire, so that it's now that fire is activating something good for you. It was supporting your health or your relationships or something like that. Is that symbolic, or are you cooking on that thing now? You, you cook on it. Oh, no, it's not symbolic. 
Got it. There's no Got symbolic. It. There's rarely any symbolic. This is a big difference too with classical. Um, we're doing things that really move the energy and placing things where we tend to use real elements instead of something like a picture of fire. You know, real fire counts as real water. We don't use a picture. If I want you to mm -hmm. activate some great energy in your home, and I say, you know, it'd be great to put um, water over there. I'd have you put water, not a picture of water, Got because it. the in fact element is is so powerful. You remember Dr. Emoto who wrote the Japanese doctor who did all the research on water. And, and the Chinese discovered that thousands of years ago, that water, in fact, water is like a big secret and a big thing in feng shui because they discovered it's, it holds energy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it holds all it kinds of energy. <laughs> yeah, and, th and therefore it magnifies. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, What kind of things have you seen? I mean, you've been at this for, uh, you know, a little bit. And so you've taught hundreds, if not thousands of people, you've seen a lot of examples of this. Um, and you know, uh -huh. I, you know, at first blush, I mean, people could say, well, it's placebo, they just believe it's better. Um, well, give me a couple stories of interventions that you've had in people's homes and what's happened in, in, in a you know, reasonable amount of time. Yeah, there, well, there, you know, there are so many examples. Um, let, me, let me talk about a recent one. I, I have a client who, pretty much lives at her desk. She's pretty much married to the desk. She does project management. She's there all the time. So that was our focus. She doesn't cook because she's married to the desk and she's married to her 60 hours a week um, helping this. And so our, our focus was the bed, which was very badly placed, and the desk. So we changed her desk direction, something very simple, after we did all the other stuff, the energy map, and you know this is based on her birth date and all this kind of stuff. So it's it's not just the house you you put it with the birthday and within two weeks she got a promotion and she got a raise both and so that's the the power of it once you identify what needs to happen and where a person's spending their energy because we don't really care about guest rooms you never go in mm -hmm. and we don't really care about storerooms you never open in your house we care where you're spending your energy and your time because you're in fact then you are activating that energy and doesn't it make sense it's really practical Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's really a practical approach to where you're spending your time. So if I wanted to do this, do I need to get like a feng shui practitioner to come in to my house or can I learn the basics and just start doing, you know, just looking at my first nacho and, and going from there? <laughs> well, it's really hard. To, it's really hard to, this is why I have my books uh, designed the way that I do. It's really hard when you're being first introduced to a new subject like this. So it's, First of all, how the Chinese view the universe, as you know, um, its roots are in Taoism. And then they have all these different tools, like the five elements. And this takes a bit of time to master. So it's not that I want to keep it from my reader. I want them to be intrigued, as I was, learning the what I call the basics uh, of feng shui. But would you be successful with just that, trying to figure it out? No, because it's a deep study. So what I do is I... I give all the recommendations. It's like the next best thing of someone who's a professional to come to your home. So you have to do two things. And in, in all of my books, I repeat the same things. I don't want my reader to have to be frustrated and try to figure out what is she saying? What, what am I supposed to put here and there? I, you, you get the compass direction and you can use your smartphone. That's easy, right? You get your compass direction and you figure out the year, the 20 year increment you moved in. And then you go to right to that section of the book and it tells you, hey, this is what this is where you sh there, here's the recommendation, several to put your bed. 
here is several places. Here are several good doors. Here's where the all for your energy map. Here are the great doors, your front door, your back door, but not so much the side door. Here is the great location for the stove. Here is the, and it, so it explains, and here's a good place to put your desk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the important things. And then things to watch out for even annually, like the health book, because it's on health, it identifies those areas when I call little health alerts. So be careful in these, year, these years, and if you want to, you can put the cure that's recommended there. So I don't expect my reader to, and I think feedback is that people get very frustrated when they read feng shui books. Yep. especially if they're on classical because it's difficult to, it, even the western it's difficult to figure out what is the author trying to tell me that i need to do right. do i need to like you said do i need to put the mirror here i get this piece but for my specific situation and that's what this is about your unique situation every single person's unique and then their home is unique and then them, them in combination is unique so there's no cookie cutter yeah, that's, you know, unfortunately, that's a Western mind wants a cookie cutter, right? Like, tell me what to do. Yes. Tell me what's the answer. Yes. So I know a lot of business people that won't, like, if they're going to erect a new building or a new project, they will have mm -hmm. a classical feng shui consultant come. And this is, you know, in Asia, I, I think it's almost unheard of to not. Exactly. It's a big deal. That is exactly. It is a big deal. So in Asia, for instance, okay, um, Hong Kong is the unofficial capital of classical feng shui. So everybody uses it there. You don't put up a bank building. You don't put up a high rise apartment or condo building without calling a feng shui master. And even the architects are very well up to speed as to what is going to be expected and they know what to do. But they wouldn't ever dream of doing a, a building. Now in the United States, what's interesting is that when, um, they got introduced like uh, Wells Fargo and some of these very conservative companies like Merrill Lynch. And I'm trying to think, uh, I think it's Chase and a few other American companies when they were established in a presence there in Hong Kong, they used feng shui because it's pretty much understood. If you're going to invest millions of dollars, you're going to use someone to feng shui the building. As you said, you wouldn't think of it. They did so well there that they started sneakily you know, under the, under the table using the, the, the same principles for their buildings here, but they wouldn't speak of it because people's perception, unfortunately, is that it's re either religious because of the Buddhist connection to it. Uh, people think it's Buddhism. It's not, but they believe that and they, or they believe it's new aging. And so the banks being conservative don't want to be attached to that because they were afraid you would say, honey, let's go take our money out of the bank that they, you know, chase or Wells Fargo has flipped. Mm -hmm. They're doing this feng shui stuff. It's black magic, and I got to get our money out of there. Witchcraft. So, yeah, it's, it, yeah. So they they're they're afraid to say. Now Donald Trump is not afraid. He'll say it. He's been a fan for years, and he got introduced the same way. Uh, in Hong Kong, they were loaning him billions of dollars just about twenty years ago, and they said, "We'll give you the money," because no American company would all those years ago. But you have to have a feng shui master. So he's he's been a fan since then of using it. And he said, I don't understand really how it works, but, you know, Trump Towers was one of the first ones that was feng shui in New York. Interesting. And yeah. And then in the United States, it's unfortunate that it's not more well known, but some of the most famous buildings in America are the casinos. They brought Hong Kong masters over from Hong Kong to feng shui the casinos. Turns out they make money too. <clears throat> so. I know a lot of people that have done this. It's like their dark secret. No one wants to talk about it. Now, you said it's not Buddhist, right? It's 
technically it's not, old, it's not even Chinese to begin with. So you, we were talking like before before this even started. It didn't originate in China, did it? Well, here's the story with that. You know, I was told by my teacher who knew the real story is that its earliest inklings came from East India, you know, as Buddhism did, and it traveled over to China. Mm -hmm. Because here's what the Chinese were doing. Uh, through their Taoist studies and, and, and so forth, as you know, they already had the big picture of the universe and how it worked and so forth. They had already, in fact, had things with the body through acupuncture, martial arts, because, you know, it was a closed society forever. Who knew that you could focus your energy and crack a stack of bricks? I mean, this was like shock and awe, right? But they didn't have that, and they used it for graves, setting graves, because they, they did ancestral worship. But they didn't have that piece that came over from India where it said, this is energy and structures, where in India they were using Vastra and they were taking in consideration, hey, guess what? If a building faces south, you're going to have this. And if a building faces east, east, it's going to be this. And they had these understandings. Now, what the Chinese did with that, I said, hey, that makes sense because that's energy too. And we're already studying the energy of the body and so forth. Let's see what we can see. And so they took it to a very sophisticated level and it's very complex and comprehensive. So, but they got that first little spark, you know, from, from East, East India, saying, hey, think about <clears throat> the structures, think about the buildings, whether they're big or they're small, they're going to affect people. So they went about observing. And that's really how they created this. They said, what if a house faces, I'll give you an, ex an exact example. What if a house faces that second 15 degrees of south, very specific, and a road or water comes in from the east, again very specific then x always happens and they would document that for like a hundred years so as they were dying off their students would continue and so forth and they say hey this is the result this could this could end with this could end very badly in relationships and not only that it could be very public and very embarrassing and etc they call the peach blossom shaw and so that that's a formula that's a formula saying every time we see this it faces this way and this comes in this way you're going to have X result. This is not so pretty. Wow. And then they had stuff. And then they had good stuff too. Very specific. If the, if you had this, this, and this, it's almost like a musical orchestra. You have a lot of wealth and a lot of prosperity. They were very good at documenting. They still are. Uh, very meticulous people. And so, very you know, meticulous. when you look at Chinese medicine, um, the traditional, the arcana of like traditional Chinese medicine, um, it's there because, you know, there was all of these folk traditions for thousands of years. And then when Mao came in, he's like, I can't, you know, we got to make sense of this. And they just started documenting all of it. And, you know, a lot of, you lose a little baby with bathwater there. Uh, and there's a lot of arguments mm -hmm. to say that oral tradition is, is you know, where it's at. But right. none, nonetheless... Um, they've been able to preserve something that the West has m mostly forgotten. I mean, we have geomancy. Right. I mean, there's still some people talking about right. ley lines around here, right? And so do you, do you find ley lines in your work? Uh, in, I do. Uh, yeah. How, how, does, how does classical feng shui look well, at ley so lines? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, because, you know, in the old days, not so much um, like, it's not so much um, revered as much as it was like in the old days. So, you, so that's, that's something that my teacher talked about. Um, it's not like course material though. It's not like it, it's in the, it's in the book. Okay. He's just like showing you. And as we talked about earlier, when you go there, do you sort of feel this in your body? So the first time I experienced that, because we know that there, there's some people contend they're not even real. There's no such thing as a ley line. There's no such thing as energy crossing and whatever. And the first time I experienced that is, was a house in San Antonio. And that I was, they were almost finished with this house, 80% finished with this house. 
And I noticed this tree. It was the weirdest thing. This tree came out of the ground about three feet, and then it did a turn and laid parallel with the, with the ground. And I thought, now, isn't that strange? I had never seen that. I thought, what's up with that? Well, it was right at a ley line. And, but I didn't know that till later, not until uh, reflecting on it. And I was at the front door, and I was entering, and I got very sick and dizzy. Because this is where the ley lines crossed. And, the, and how did this translate it out with, for them and why she wanted me to come out there is they had accidents on site. Someone had lost a limb through some kind of like wayward saw. The builder went bankrupt. And so all kinds of weird things were happening on the site. And they were, they were at the phase where they could get out of the, um, they could still get out of it. They didn't have to sign the papers and take the home. It was new home construction. So they had that window. I think I had five days or something. And all these weird events were happening. And I really recommended they get out of it. And they did. Because it was, it was not something that was going to bring good luck to anybody. Because you can't move the ley line. Right. They unfortunately built a home right on that, you would want to call it a power spot. And it shouldn't have had a structure there. And that's in the old days where the guy, you know, the dousers would have found that I said, hey, this is weird energy. So the dowsers would, would be walking these ley lines and finding the intersection points to be finding I where- dowsers can, Yeah, I believe dowsers can find them. Now for me, it was a, uh, it was a real uh, eye-opener because I didn't know that I could feel that in my body, that I, could, I would mm-hmm. physically get a reaction and get sick. So that's sure. how I know. So two things happen. My low pan needle, the, the compass needle goes crazy because it's magnetic. We're measuring magnetic north. So it's a magnetic north-south axis. And the low pan will go a little bit nuts mm-hmm. because it's, it's magnetic energy. They're kind of gone amok, right, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then I get a physical reaction. So there's two things I know when there's something strange. And all that translates out that you should not have a structure directly over it or all kinds of crazy things will happen, like the guy went bankrupt. Uh, very unfortunate. The guy lost a limb. Very, very unfortunate. And so my clients were really concerned with those two things. They put it together. That's awfully weird. That's unlucky. That's inauspicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> to say the least. So yes. when, when I think of ley lines, I think of um, like acupuncture meridians on the human body, but extrapolated now over the earth and the, the intersections maybe being like the acupuncture points. Um, mm-hmm. Do they move or is this something that we can have? I mean, they're all over the place, but, and I've seen some, they... some maps of ley lines, but you know, it's like right. they're there. If they're, consi- right. if they're consistently there, then why don't we map them? Right, exactly. <clears throat> and, I, and that's a good question. I don't know why someone doesn't map them out. Because like I said, the, the controversy is that people don't even believe that they exist. Um, but I don't believe that they move, but here's what I know happens. It was another um, site that I was doing in Fountain Hills, Arizona. And it wasn't the the client's house that I was doing. It was the house next door. It's very rocky. And they were jackhammering because it's hilly. And they were trying to flatten out the land to build a foundation. And they released the energy there. And then it affected my client's house. I mean, all hell broke loose when they started jackhammering. Why? Because they were shaking up, moving that energy of that ley line. And all kinds of crazy things happened in that house. I mean, like mm. really nuts. And it was another worst house I've ever seen because they were on the ley line. I mean, the guy would wake up every night, like the time they moved in at some crazy number, like 222, 2am, 22, every single night. The little boys were afraid to sleep in their rooms because they thought they saw ghosts and they would jump in bed with their parents. All kinds of crazy stuff happened in that mm. house. Well, it got worse when they were trying to prepare that lot and they were jackhammering over that ley line. So I don't think they move, but that'd be interesting for someone to do that because 
they would probably still do it though. They probably would still build it. They wouldn't believe you. They'd say, okay, I know you have the map here, but I'm going to build my house here. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty lot. And I want those mountain views and I'm going to do it. Yep. Well, and, and from what I understand, you know, the ancients had a, a pretty profound understanding of this. So you look at ancient sites like Machu Picchu mm-hmm. and, and like say, in places in Cusco and all these, they were really, uh, you know, if you overlay uh, the ley line maps, it's like mm-hmm. perfect intersections and they understood where to put these things based on the flow of energy on the planet. And so, I mean, yeah, this is... I believe it. Yeah, I, I believe, and I believe exactly that, and even maybe European churches, they have what they call sacred geometry, and they would know where this, so this is okay, like for temples, churches, public buildings, or like um, in Machu Picchu or wherever you're meeting and you're doing something, but not to live there on a daily basis. Right. So they understood it's too powerful, it's overwhelming. So then bad things are going to happen because it's overwhelmed, just like with my clients. Why don't all the bad events happen in their lives when before they were perfectly happy? Is because it's overwhelming. But it's okay for a temple. It's okay for a public meeting place. In fact, it's powerful. So if you're in meditation or you're doing something collectively, super powerful, right? Yep. But not meant for everyday life. Otherwise, you'd have the opposite sort of effect. So I, be- I believe what you- all that you just said. And maybe even they had some understanding and because I can feel some of that energy in some of the churches in Europe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, these guys knew what, what was up. They, they had preserved thousands of years of tradition and wisdom, even in the, the geometry of the architecture and the, you know, everything, everything they put in there. And so we're mm-hmm. now living in a very interesting time where most people are sleepwalking. Like, you know, I'm sure there's someone listening to this right now going, mm-hmm. what the hell are these people talking about, right? And it's just right. so far out. But, you know, you go back a thousand years, our ancestors talked about this kind of stuff all the time. It wasn't superstition. It was knowledge. Um, feng shui has exactly. been around for a long time. Long time. Yeah. The, the, the inklings, mm-hmm. they say, the beginnings of it was 6,000 years, but it flies forward another couple. So at least three to four. And then it became a practice about 3,000 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. So, and it's simply observation. You know, they didn't have computers, but, but you were, man, you made an interesting point that we are living in interesting times because we have to deal with things. We are bombarded with things that our ancestors did not have to deal with. They didn't have electric magnetic energy. They didn't have things that upset our sleep and our food and all these different things. So um, in the book I talk about, this, this newest book, I talk about some of those things and how to protect ourselves. You were talking about the ley line. There is a guy that kind of redirects that. If you can't move um, and you have to do something, he has these little things that redirect the ley lines or at least keep them in check so they don't harm you and disturb your sleep and make you crazy. Because my client was going so crazy, she was drinking every day to anesthetize herself so she wouldn't feel dizzy in the house. That's crazy. You know, that's, yep. that's, who does this, right? So we have things we have to deal with that they did, our ancestors didn't have to deal with. But like you said, it's not voodoo. It's not uh, we're not drugs. or so, it, it is knowledge. It's This is the earth. This is what the earth holds. This is what our structures are indicating to us. And it's, a real, it's really powerful knowledge to have to select homes in those good settings so that you can continue to thrive and have the good health and relationships and so forth. What percentage of your stuff is with fresh builds? Like, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm like, damn, I'm going to go buy some land in Montana and I'm going to bring uh-huh. you out. I'm going to bring you out and you're going to tell me where to put the buildings and everything's going to be hunky-dory and all I need is internet. Yeah, that is the primo way to use it. Yep. So I probably, and, and this is unusual, I probably in my 20-year career have done 15 new home builds. And um, so most of them are homes that are already 
constructed. So you have to get creative, but does that mean that you still can't have great luck with a home that's already built and select one because you certainly can. I've seen it. People really thrive in those spaces. But of course, the optimal way is to build it from the ground up. Then you can have every good thing you want, you know, but even then you don't have 360 degrees to choose from. And like, I guess, like you said, maybe in your Montana and you're on 160 acres, maybe you could do that. But even if you buy a nice piece of property somewhere where you're at, two acres or an acre, you, you don't still have 360 degrees to choose from. You'll no. still be slightly, you know, uh, but it, that is the optimal way to use it. Got it. So you, you still have to negotiate what you got with where you're at and all that. Right. <clears throat> right. Well, and In then. My Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say, and then, and then based on what you had said at the, at the beginning of our call, um, you know, even if I went and found a place in Montana and found the, the perfect alignment and all that, we'd still have to wait and cherry pick what the right day is for me to move in in order to have the most auspicious energy to go in based on well, classical you know, feng shui, right? You would, you would, no, you would still have great luck. Of course, you could have that um, mm. optimum experience of picking the perfect day to move in. It, certainly date selection is part of that. But you just, if, if, if the place has great feng shui, you're still going to benefit from that no matter when you moved in because it's, it's holding an energy a specific way. And then you're just enhancing it and you're just balancing out the energy with different things. My challenge has been in, in America is to try to convince builders and architects to use more. And they believe they've used some feng shui. Uh, they've just taken little baby steps by not aligning staircases to the front door and things like that. But they haven't used it with the classical feng shui as they're doing. Uh, my teacher was lucky enough to do a master plan community in Indonesia. So he was hired specifically to come out and set up the entire community using classical feng shui, which has never happened in the States. And it, mm. it's never happened in Europe, in fact, because there's no master plan communities, the small piece of land. So that would be something to, to contemplate is to have the home's already feng shui so that when you come in, you don't have to feng shui. It's already great energy. You just move in. I'd pay a premium for that. Um, People will. Yeah, yeah. That That's really interesting that that happens. What I'd love to see is if they went in and did a 10-year study on that community to, to you know look at health and prosperity and some other things, exactly. like you know marital status and see if anything's different. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, wouldn't that be wonderful to go there and take that community that um, my teacher, Grandmaster Yap, uh, feng shui that. And I think that was the only opportunity he had was that one big community. It was huge, though more than 300 homes, I think he said. And it had a beautiful man-made lake and so forth. And um, so we, we're having to take what builders and, and architects are sort of shelling out, saying, okay, this is what I'm offering. You know, you can take it or leave it because here's the community, you go pick what you want and so forth. Yep. Um, in the way of energy, you know. So it's a matter of educating them because they're in charge of our structures. But more and more are becoming more open. More, I have to say, more corporations and uh, the, the ones that are building what I call the mega structures, and that's certainly a mega structure. I love it. The book um, is called Classical Feng Shui for Health, Beauty, and Longevity. Uh, Master Denise Leota Dennis. Um, this is uh, I, I love all the things around this subject. You know, when I when I got into kung fu. Um, little did I know that it was going to pull me away from Western medicine into Chinese medicine and then into Tai Chi and Qigong and all these things. And so there's the culinary arts, there's the herbal arts, there's the energetic arts, and then there is the geomancy or the actual, you know, the, the time-space um, art of being able to position yourself uh, correctly. So it's just, it's part of an overall picture, uh, a more comprehensive understanding of our reality. Um, and uh, it's heavy. I mean, it's like you don't just pick this up and you know it, like to your point, you don't just know it overnight. 
Um, right. But man, once you're into it, you can't you can't question. It's juicy stuff. You, oh, it's so I'll tell good. you, it's juicy stuff. And I call it the, when I give my lectures, I, I tease them and I say it's when the Chinese finally the Chinese had to give it up. And what do I mean by that? Well, first we were introduced to martial arts and we were like amazed, right? Because we didn't know the energy in the body could work like that. And then the next thing was acupuncture, again, energy in the body. And the last thing they had to give up was energy in relation to us and the structures. So I'll call it the Chinese had to eventually give up this knowledge mm-hmm. that they hard earned, they, they want, they, they, you know, did the work, but in, in the time of General Mao, it was forbidden. So guess what? It became a gift to the world. So they started scattering all over the place, and now the, the, the knowledge would never be lost. So thanks to Mao, it's all over because he forbid it to be practiced, you know, whatever his thinking yep. was. <laughs> yep. No, it's interesting. We have the same history in Kung Fu. Uh, my grandmaster finally opened up the, the closed fist and shared with uh, non-Chinese students because he realized uh, it was going to die and the legacy wouldn't continue, so they had to share it, and, you know, here I am. You know, being a exactly. torchbearer of a tradition that comes from, you know, a yellow dragon monastery in China because exactly. they had to get out to save their lives and then they realized the exactly. only way to save this living, breathing tradition was through humans. Yeah, we call it a lineage carrier in, yep. in the traditional way. So you're a lineage carrier because if you didn't carry the knowledge forward, and like I teach, and I've been teaching for 16 years, if I didn't, some in the United States at least, I'm here on this side of the world, you know, uh, blonde-haired Texan passing on the, but, you know, we're not of those traditions, but we're not the, those culture, but we're carrying on the lineage. And it's really important. This is knowledge that helps people. This is knowledge that, that um, makes a difference, like you yeah. said. Yeah. Well, listen, God bless you for doing it. I'm glad, so I'm much. glad you followed that curiosity and uh, <laughs> listened to your Me friend. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, this is, some, someone's got to carry this. So how can people get a hold of you? How can people study this? Um, find your other books? Uh, I have a website. They can find all the information on the website. Uh, my books are not self-published, but they're all over. They're in Barnes & Noble, barnesandnoble.com, even Walmart and Target.com. I carry it, my books. And you go to my website. that has my um, email address. Sure. As well. And this is the third one. This is your third book? Oh, you faded out. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. you got a little choppy at that last bit. Just say that last bit again. Yeah, you, you, faded, you faded out. Yeah, this is the third in this series. Got it, got it. Okay, and your website is? www.dragongatefengshui.com All right, excellent. Well, thank you so much thank for being so- here. Um, I love what you're doing, and uh, one of these days I'm going to invite you out to come, come to my house and uh, <laughs> make sure I'm doing everything right over here. I'd love to. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you. And for those of you out there, uh, let me know what you think, and I will see you next time.